And welcome back to another edition of Coaching with the Bible. This is episode 141, season 3, episode 32. The portion of the week, at least here in Israel, will be the portion known as Naso, which is the second portion in the book of Numbers, the book known in Hebrew as Bamidbar. And it's also the celebration of the holiday known as Shavuot. In English, although this is a brutal name for it, as the Pentecost, I think it's more appropriate and I think people appreciate and understand it, can connect to it more. Assembly is the holiday, the celebration of the revelation at Sinai. Our topic of the week is on learning from others. Before we begin in diving into that topic specifically, I do want to make a shout out to my father. My father's birthday falls out on the holiday and on the weekend, actually, turning 79 years old this weekend. So I want to wish him a very, very happy and healthy and wonderful birthday and an extremely blessed year ahead. Each year, obviously, we always remember and celebrate his birthday on the holiday and around the holiday. And so we want to just wish him a happy birthday uh, all around. And so our topic this week is on learning from others. We've talked a lot about learning in coaching with the Bible. And here this week, I want to focus in on a specific kind of learning. It's really learning from the experiences of other people, both their successes and their failures. And thinking through how that works or why that works or why that's important. And so particularly why that's important, simply practically speaking. And a lot of the quotes and jokes about it are, we simply don't have enough time in our life to make all the mistakes to learn from them, which is true. And so we have to have the opportunity to learn from the mistakes and the experiences of other people. It does not require it to have to be a mistake, but it can be. The context is in which it falls out here and how it comes up here in this week's portion or just in around this. Obviously, you can always learn from people's experiences, regardless of what they are. You want to look at, you know, for celebrating the holiday of the revelation, you can learn a million things from the experience of the people of Israel standing at the foot of Sinai, of Sinai, at the mountain, at the revelation. You can learn from the good moments there. You can learn from the bad moments there and you can apply them. But also, in particular, in the reading this week, we have this uh, juxtaposition of sections in the Bible. And that's where I want to sort of jump off from with respect, with respect to, the, to the Torah portion of coaching with the Bible. And so the context here, excuse me, is we have two chapters back to back which deal with what would seem to be polar opposite sections or concepts related to the Bible. Number one is the story of the woman who was accused of some sort of an illicit or inappropriate or adulterous type of relationship in violation of her husband's decree and her bringing to, her being brought to the temple and going through, it seems to be a very esoteric, but also very scary process of investigation and then potentially punishment. And so that's on one hand. Then the next chapter deals with the person known as a Nazir in Hebrew, the Nazarite person. It's a person who takes upon himself or herself additional restrictions. So that's in the course of wine or any sort of you know, wine-type product, 
hair, cutting of the hair, being around the dead. And so they have cut themselves off a little bit more from society. And so the famous commentary Rashi, right there at the beginning of that second section, asks, what is the connection between these two chapters? The implication being, as some of the other commentaries say, is that these two really don't belong near each other. They really don't. And so what's the connection or the juxtaposition of the two? And so the famous comment that Rashi brings is the following. He says, just sort of getting the exact quote here for you. He says the following. He says, because anyone who would see this woman in this state of degradation would distance themselves and separate themselves from all kinds of wine or wine-type beverages. Meaning that the observation of this person going through this experience, this hellish experience of investigation and potentially punishment, would be a model or a, a learning moment for another person who would take then the opposite steps to put into place measures or fences that keep them away from violating really anything. So it's a learned experience. I don't have to go through what this woman is going through in the temple. I don't have to be in a marriage situation that she is in where this is the case, where she's now accused by her husband of X or Y or Z. I can simply learn from her experience and then learn the appropriate way to behave from her experience and not have to live her experience. That's the idea. Now, it comes up in multiple other places, this idea of the juxtaposition of chapters. It actually happens again later on in this week's portion. And it actually happens again at the end of next week's portion. The last section of next week's portion, known as Bahalotcha in Hebrew, deals with the fact that the story of the sister of Moses, Miriam, speaking negatively about Moses and then her subsequent punishment of leprosy. So there's a lot in Jewish literature about, and Jewish law, really, about how we speak to each other and certainly how we speak about each other, if at all. It's known in Hebrew as Lashon Hara, or bad or negative speech. In the Bible, Miriam is punished with leprosy. The next section of the Bible is the story of the spies who then go and speak badly about the land of Israel. And so Rashi there comments the same ideas. What's the connection between the two? And the expectation would have been that they would have learned the lesson, learned from the experience of Miriam not to speak in such a manner, not to behave in such a manner, not to say the things that they're going to say or have said in such a manner. And so those, those two things are brought together next to each other for that reason. He, so here, in that case, it's a failure to learn. And here, it's an actually an experience where this person is learning, and by virtue of learning from this woman's experience, is taking upon themselves additional prohibitions and additional behaviors to limit the possibility of them falling prey to all kinds of other bad things around them. So learning from others. So the question that we should be asking ourselves is, one... Do we take lessons from other people? 
and not where they're sort of preachy. I'm not looking at a case where I'm sitting in a, in a, in a, in a lecture or a sermon. That's not what I'm talking about. But that's part of it. Simply just learning from others. Do we do it? Let's start on the flip side. If the answer to the question about learning from other people is that I don't really learn things from other people, so that's a whole other conversation, and that's a real problem. It's a problem both from a practical standpoint about not from this, the idea that not having benefited from the full experience of life. Because when you sort of look at life or the world as sort of your classroom and the experiences that you have, the things that you see, the things that you hear are teachable learning moments, coachable moments for you to improve and become better. And you sort of ignore that or simply leave it to the side. That's a deep, I think, a deep problem. It's missing out on so many things in life and the opportunity to avoid so many of these bad experiences that you could avoid by having learned those lessons. If the answer is yes, and that you do learn from other people, so kudos to you and applaud. I think it's important. And I'm curious then about how you go about doing that. What's the context in which you go and learn about, learn from other people's experiences? And then related question is how much do you foster and engender or inspire the people around you to also learn from the experiences of other people around them? So that could be in your own home, with your family, with your spouse, with your children, talking through situations. It could be in the work environment. Do you have teams? Are you, are you, are you creating an environment of learning from each other collaboratively, or are you just assuming that that's going to happen? Making an assumption that that's going to happen is a tremendous mistake. But to create an environment where people can learn from each other, to lead an environment, lead a community of people where they are learning from each other, is far more powerful. And so it's important to sort of again sort of dive into the space and think about whether or not it is that we are in the space of learning from each other. That I look at things around me and I process them, I filter them, I learn from them. Too often is the case with people is that they don't think that someone else's experience is a viable learning lesson for them. They'll excuse it away, they'll explain it away, they'll show difference. I know from my work in coaching that it's a very powerful tool is to look at a person who maybe we venerate or we, or we hold in high esteem, look at their lived experiences, and then glean from them. We can't copy them. We won't necessarily have them exactly. And we're never going to be exactly like that person. So we would obviously experience it differently. But you can look at it as either some sort of a foil or a mirror um, or simply just a parallel track that someone else is going on that, that can be used to shed light on one's own life. It's learning from others. 
But we have to be careful because most often we don't do it. Or a lot of people don't do it, even though the data seems to imply that people generally, more often than not, would prefer to learn from other people than from, say, YouTube or Google or wherever it is. So when they're looking to, to go first to learn something, more often than not, people are going to other people. But are they actually learning? That's sort of the question. Are they actually learning? And it doesn't require, again, sitting in a classroom with this person, having a lecture at us about it. That's not really it is. It can be, you know, an organic and spontaneous conversation around something that's going on. It can be a person sort of lifting the veil on something that they're going through or something that they recently went through and sharing the experience that they went through seeking out how somebody else might have played that situation forward and then appreciating that it could be different in the way that they played it. So I'll give you an example. So recently I was walking to the synagogue in the morning and there was a gentleman there who collects money for himself. He's, I've seen him for years. And admittedly for most of those years, I, on most occasions, I walked past him and I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't help him out. I, it's a terrible thing to say out loud, but it's true. When I would see him in other places, which is odd, so I would also see him sometimes at the local supermarket. And so in those spaces, I actually would help him a little bit. So recently, walking one, and I have nothing really to do with him per se, walking to the synagogue one morning, comes running over to me, he's crying and he says to me, no one's helping me today. No one's helping me today. I have a very specific, important reason that I need funds. I need money to be able to pay for something for my daughter today, for a treatment for my daughter today. And no one's helping me. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? So a deer in the headlights. I'm stuck in the moment. What do I do? What should I do? So I'm on my way into the synagogue. So I have not yet prayed. This is happening. I'm compelled to help this person. So I said to him, okay, I'm going to go pray. And after I pray, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get some, so whatever, whatever I can sort of scrounge up and I'll, and I'll come back. So I said, okay. So I did, I went and obviously my, my thoughts and the prayers were not aligned and was not focused. And then I, you know, I left, I left the way I always leave, which is out a different doorway. And I, and I was on my way home and he chased me down. And he's, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. Don't forget. Of course, I wasn't going to forget about him. I think he thought that I was going to forget about him, but I wasn't. I went home, I put together a little cash that I had available to me, put it in an envelope, went back and gave it to him. So I think I did the right thing. But as a learning experience for somebody else who's listening to this story, there's like a lot of ways to sort of think about, well, how do I handle my business differently in that kind of a situation? How else can I do that differently? Maybe it's going home immediately and getting him the money. Maybe it's sort of being a little bit more empathetic in the moment and sitting with the person there for just a minute. There's no reason for the next person who heard that story just now to go through that situation and handle it the same way. There's for sure a handful at least of ways to handle that better. 
We have all these experiences in our life and they're teachable, coachable moments for other people to learn from them. They do not, as I said, have to be formal. They can be massively informal. They can be conversational. It happens that for me, I'm super curious about some of these things. So I will ask people, hey, what would, how would you handle the situation? Or if they just went through something or they're just doing something, I'm, I have enough sort of chutzpah, let's say, for lack of a better term, to ask, like, okay, why did you handle it that way? Not to judge, to understand and to learn and to assimilate that information into my own being in the event that, practically speaking, I need that information, I can go and do something along that way. So there is this amazing uh, theory that's out there, which is called the social learning theory. The social learning theory is very much in the sort of the zone of what we're talking about here today. The social learning theory is the idea that people effectively, mostly, and most successfully learn by watching other people. So it's some sort of like observational learning. And observational learning happens in a variety of ways, but there's basically the idea that observational learning happens, um, you know, either in a living model. So this is coming from the work of a gentleman by the name of Albert Bandura. So there's the live model, which involves an actual individual demonstrating or acting out a certain behavior. That's observational learning one. Observational learning two is a symbolic model which involves real or fictional characters displaying behaviors in books, films, and so on. And then observational learning three is a verbal instructional model, which involves descriptions and explanations of a behavior. And so what the theory holds is that we learn most of the things that we do by observing the behavior and actions of other people. And so how did uh, Dr. Bandura test this out? A very famous experiment known as the Bobo Doll Experiment. The Bobo Doll experiment, if you remember the Bobo Doll, the Bobo Doll was this um, blow-up weighted clown toy that you could punch and knock over and then it would bounce back up. Now that I think about it, it's terrifying. I cannot believe we even had things like that in our homes perhaps when we were kids. But the idea was that children would watch the adults interact with this Bobo Doll and then the adult would leave and then we would see how the children would act without the adult in the room. And so the model behavior, the observational learning from the children was that they learned to behave based on, based on what they had experienced and seen modeled by the adult in the room, which makes a lot of sense. And that's the social theory of learning. And so we'll see people behave a certain way and then we'll feed off of them. So it's in the work environment. So we'll see how the leader operates and the the cultural tone that the leader sets And that sets the tone for everyone else on the team. So if it's not a collaborative learning experience, then it won't be. And the question, it will be on the leader to figure out, you know, well, what did I do wrong here and not blame everybody else? If it's in the home, it's sort of the same thing. Like, are we not just, you know, living the experience? Are we learning from the experience? Are we learning from what we're learning along the way? And so this is this very power idea that people learn through observation. They learn then through sort of like an inculcation and an internal sort of work through of what they see. And 
and they go forward. Now, it doesn't mean that in every situation or every kid or every moment that they're going to behave that way. That's not the case. We do have the ability to filter stuff out and not behave that way. But the reality of it is, is that in that space, so what's going to happen is sort of this cycle of person's paying attention. So they're going to learn by paying attention. Then they're going to, what's called retention. This is part of Bandura's idea. Bend is retention. They're going to store information as an important part of the learning process. So again, attention, they paid attention to what happened, of what they observed, what they experienced. They're going to retain. Then they're going to reproduce once they paid attention to the model, it's time to actually perform the behavior. So now they're going to perform the behavior exactly the way the adult interacted, operated with Boba the doll. And then there's some sort of a motivation. And this motivation is essentially to a degree related to either some sort of reinforcement or punishment that's going to motivate one way or the other. And so this is sort of how we learn, but the reality of it is, is that we actually have to learn, but this is happens and happens for all of us. And so we have to then begin to appreciate establishing for ourselves the methods by which we go about learning from other people and developing both the state of mind to observe and learn and also the state of mind to filter out where necessary. So in the case of the Bible, where you have this person who's, who is experiencing visually what is happening to, the, to this woman at the temple, and then as a result of that observation is going to steer dramatically clear of any sort of wine or any, uh, any of the behaviors that might lead to putting themselves in a very bad situation, so that's the learned, observed experience. And so we have to sort of, I think, observe for ourselves. And what I think is really important here is the following sort of um, structure. As I said jokingly, we can't live all the mistakes that everyone has ever made. So we simply learn from other people's mistakes. That's sort of how that goes. And so we have to be, I would say dramatically open to the possibility to the possibility that we can learn from other people and that we need a level of curiosity and what I would call a hunger of the mind to observe and learn and then observe, learn and then act based on or based against what's going on around us. But that curiosity is fundamental. That openness to the lived experience of other people is crucial. And the honesty, intellectual honesty, emotional honesty, psychological honesty, that we can and we should and we must learn from other people also vital. And so that the world around us, yes, we are the center of, the wor- of our own world in the world that goes on around us. And so we should be observing and learning from everybody else. Everyone else, in theory, is a supporting actor in our story, and we're the main character, the protagonist. That's one way to look at it. But it is sort of an observed experience that we do have to do a lot, a lot, 
to create this environment of learning. And so what I would say is that if we're thinking about this, we want to end with the following concept. It's an ironic quote, actually, because I, when I saw it, I was like, really? Is that the person who said this? But this is a quote from Mao. Mao is the founder of the People's Republic of China, the Communist Republic of China. So Mao said the following. Now, there are two different attitudes towards learning from others. One is the dogmatic attitude of transplanting everything, whether or not it is suited to our conditions. This is no good. The other attitude is to use our heads and learn those things that suit our conditions, that is, to absorb whatever experience is useful to us. That is the attitude we should adopt. I think it's a fascinating statement coming from Mao, but it is. It's an important thing to think about. How we think about these things, how we do these things, how we, op- how we observe, how we learn, how we grow, and to work in that direction, to learn and to grow and to gain from the people that are around us, the lived experience from other people. There's so much wisdom in that space. So there's the difference between experience and wisdom. If we've done it ourselves, it's our own experience. When we're having it from other people, it's wisdom. And it's our ability to do this that actually makes us better on a day in and day out basis. There's a lot. There's a lot coming at us. There's a lot that we're seeing. There's a lot that we're experiencing. It can be information overload. And so it's important for us to learn. And it's also even more important for us to learn what we have learned and to learn from what we have learned and to keep what we need to keep and to filter out what we need to filter out and to have that learned experience or the learned experience of others be a source of inspiration, a source of motivation, and a source of learning, and a source of direction for us in our own lives. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. Those celebrating this weekend have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Looking forward to seeing you next week.